we are celebrating today, uh, and that's part of why Providence Christian School is here, celebrating uh, Christian education and that uh, form of discipleship that we have uh, developed and felt called toward uh, as a, a broad reform community uh, to continue encouraging. How do we uh, how do we raise up the next generation within the body of Christ? How do we how do we train them in the way they should go? And uh, so this morning, that celebration is of God's good gift of Christian education. And so we're we're in that context today uh, um, as we begin. This message really has a lot to do with that. The undergirding of of Christian education and what we're what we're really hoping comes out of. Uh, all our efforts around Christian education, but not just Christian day school education. This really is a, a, a prayer that we're encountering for all of God's people, that all of us might grow in our discipleship. And so as we engage this text and as we hear what Paul is, is really praying here, uh, my hope and desire is that, that we would see that uh, this is the prayer that, that kind of goes beneath and throughout uh, Christian education, but it really is, is the prayer that goes beneath and throughout all of our formation as disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, a prayer throughout all generations. It's that little phrase at the end, I don't know if you caught it, we'll come back to it in a minute, but but Paul really sets the stage here and says that, that the, the direction he's going with this whole thing is that uh, God might receive the glory throughout all generations. And this is a, a remarkable thing for us to hear because the vision that he's portraying here is an old, Old Testament vision. And it goes back to that passage we read from Deuteronomy 6 uh, earlier in the service that, that the it's not just that things might go well with you, that God might bless us who are gathered here, but the vision, the biblical vision, is always multi-generational. And Paul's picking up that vision and saying, folks, it's not just about you who are in Ephesus today, but it's about what God's going to do in your kids. And not just your kids, but your kids' kids. And when we pick up the Old Testament uh, references that he's making here. Paul's prayer is really situating this as, I, I want this. This prayer that I'm going to pray for you is so that, that God's glory might be present throughout the generations, generation after generation after generation. And in some sense, when we're gathered here in this space today, we can look back at this prayer and go, actually, Paul's prayer has been answered. God has been answering this prayer because none of us were alive when Jesus Christ was. None of us were alive when the apostles were. None of us were alive in the second and third and fourth century. Some of us may feel like we've been alive that long. But, but it is God's grace throughout the generations that is still at work in us. And so when we hear this, this is the prayer that Paul is offering among the people who are gathered in Ephesus. But he's got a vision that extends way beyond them to the whole church of God's people throughout the generations. And that's what we're encountering here today. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. What we're hearing is really the prayer of a, a spiritual 
spiritual parent. Paul has nurtured the church in Ephesus. He spent a ton of time there. He loves the people here. And, and, and he's kind of kind of giving them a, a sense of his heart. It's, it's like a parent coming up alongside a kid and saying, I just got to share with you how much I love you. And, and it's that parent heart showing their child, this is what I really think. This is when it, all, everything else, all the other stuff we talk about is pushed to the side, and it comes down to it, this is my heart's desire for you. This is Paul kind of bearing his heart to his spiritual children and saying, this is, this is my deep longing for you. You may have noticed it starts with, for this reason. And if you're a good student of the Bible, anytime you see the word therefore or you encounter a phrase like this, for this reason, you need to back up a little bit and go, okay, what's he talking about? Where is this referring to? And if you look at the start of chapter 3, he starts start of chapter 3 with, for this reason, and then he interrupts himself. So everything between verse 1 and verse 14 is Paul interrupting himself. And so he's going back to that for this reason at the start of verse, verse 1 of chapter 3, which then refers to the end of chapter 2. What reason? This is what God is at work doing. And in him, in Jesus Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. In other words, Paul's saying, this whole prayer I'm going to pray for you, my heart for you comes out of the work that God's doing in Jesus Christ. And the end of chapter 2 is really his unfolding of God's grace. Chapter 2 is the one he says, for you're saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast, but it's the grace of God. And, and he's created you together in Christ Jesus so that you might do good works as your way of life. So this, this chapter 2 has been overflowing with an emphasis of God's love in Jesus Christ, what God has accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul says, because of all that, because of how God is knitting you all together, all this diverse group of people who have been God's enemies and he's brought you together as God's children, because of all of that... I'm kneeling before God to pray for you. So a lot of times our sermons drive us towards the cross and towards our need for a Savior. And what this text is doing is, is essentially it's starting at the cross and saying, because of what God did in Jesus Christ, because he sent his Son to save us and to reconcile us and restore us, because he's done that, this is my prayer for how the rest of your life is going to look. So the whole sermon from here on out, the whole text from here on out, is a response to what God has done in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. It's kind of a, so now what? This is where it goes. And to what end? This is that end part. So it not only has a beginning in the cross, it has an end that has the glory of God spreading throughout all generations, which is another way of saying across all peoples, that, that there's going to be no end to God's glory, that it's not going to be confined in a little temple in Jerusalem anymore, but it's going to spread across the whole face of the earth until the whole world overflows with God's glory. So this prayer has a trajectory to it. 
It has a beginning in the cross of Christ and his death and resurrection, and it has an end goal that it's moving us towards, which is God's glory filling the whole earth. That's a pretty big vision. And that's the context in which Paul's praying. There's two parts to this prayer. I'm going to invite us to think of two images. For part one, I want us to think about the image of fireworks. Okay? Big, ooh, ah, wow. That type of fireworks, all right? You can say it with me. Ooh, ah, wow. All right? Keep that in mind. Because that's what Paul's praying here. It's this prayer for power. That's what he begins with. A prayer for power. The words are that he may strengthen you with power. Literally, in the, in the Greek text, the literal words here are that he may give you power to be strengthened. He may give you power to be strengthened. And that word power is, is dynamo. Anybody got an idea what might be connected to that? Dynamite. Explosive. God has, has, the prayer here is that God would give us power. God would, God would give us dynamite that we might be strengthened. That we would be full of this explosive power. This unbelievable power. And there's two conditions for this. Two conditions with this prayer that he puts. That that power would come through his spirit. That God would, would strengthen us with this power. That would give us this power that we might be strengthened through the Spirit. And it's a remarkable thing. In our Reformed traditions, we tend to talk about God the Father and God the Son. And we go, oh, isn't that good? And we often leave out God the Spirit. And Paul's prayer is not, first of all, that we might know Jesus Christ more. He said that we might be strengthened with the Spirit. That the Spirit might fill us. That God would fill us with the Spirit. And so there's this sense of, of, of the prayer here is one for our good. That, that the Holy Spirit, the, the very real presence of God, the person of God, would somehow fill us. And that this prayer for power is not just that the Spirit would fill us, but that would be in our inner being. There's something powerful going on here. Part of what Paul's saying is this gospel story that I've been telling you about with that, that rooting in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and this, this end goal of God's glory filling the earth, it actually involves each and every one of you. wants God, the great God of all creation, to fill you, each of you. Paul, in his prayer, is expressing God's desire that each person, every person who is created, would be filled with the Spirit of God, that God's power would dwell within them. It's a very personal prayer at this point. It's not just for the church to be filled. It's not just that God's Spirit would somehow move and operate in the world in this mysterious, wind-blowing way but that the Spirit of God, the very power of God, would inhabit us. And that word dwell comes up, and we'll come back to it in a minute, gets inside of us, each of us. And he says this, the whole reason for this prayer, this firework prayer, that the Holy Spirit would, would 
fill you and you would have the power of God within you is so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, we need the power of God living in us for Christ to dwell in us. And, and we need the Holy Spirit living in us so that there might be room for Christ to dwell within us. It's this desire for intimacy. That word dwell is, is better, probably better translated, make a home with. Paul's prayer in response to the cross in anticipation of that day when, when God's glory is going to fill the earth, is that each person would have Christ living in them, making his home within them. And this is the prayer. This is that undergirding baseline prayer. A couple decades ago, I had the privilege of, of teaching a couple classes at Calvin, uh, Calvin College, an introductory course. And one of the first questions we asked students who were coming to Calvin was, was, what's your goal for going to college? Why are you here? And inevitably, about 85 to 90% of them said, I'm coming to this school so I can get a good job, so that I can afford a nice home in a nice neighborhood, that I can support my family, that I can take care of my kids and provide them so that they have a better life than what I did. My thought is, how anemic, how shallow. I mean, those are good things. We want to take care of our families. We want to provide for our families. But it doesn't get close to this, does it? That the purpose of, of Christian education, the purpose of discipling our kids, is not so that they might be successful in the world's standards, but it's so that Christ might dwell in their hearts. So that somehow they might see that the power of the Holy Spirit, of the power that raised Christ from the dead, as Paul says earlier in Ephesians, dwells in each of them, and that God is living in them and desiring to live with him in, in them so that the fullness of the life of Christ might explode through them. That Christ himself, in all his fullness, might live in them. That's the goal of our discipleship. Bringing up the next generation of forming our kids to walk in the way of Christ. And I think so often we get caught up in the blessings, the material blessings, the family blessings that God gives us, that we start exchanging those blessings as the goal and purpose of forming our kids. But the goal and purpose of discipleship here, as Paul's outlining it, is that we might be filled with the Spirit of God so that Christ himself might dwell within us. That's the firework. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus dwelling within us. Have you ever seen a firework? I, I had a couple friends who in high school and university got training. They actually got training for this to launch fireworks. And they got a certification to be able to launch those fireworks. The fire department had to come out, make sure they didn't burn anything down. They had to pay for all that stuff. But they got training on how to do these fireworks. And, and those fireworks, some of those shells are like this big. And they poof, launch them up. And you get those huge explosions out of them. These small, tiny packages, big, big explosions. Christ dwelling in us is kind 
kind of like us, Paul saying, I want each of you to be a firework so that Christ lives in you and as your life catches fire, you explode with the fullness and the brightness and the brilliance of the life of Christ. That's what spills out of you. Not the sense of, poof, I've got money in the bank account. Poof, I've got a good job. It just fizzles compared to the life of Christ exploding out of us. We are called, whilst praying, that through discipleship, we might be like fireworks. Second part of his prayer is a prayer for strength. For this, I invite us to keep in mind this image of sequoia trees. Sequoia trees, the most forests, the sequoia forests, the different groves they have, all stop at about 275 feet because once the few trees that do grow taller than that, they tend to get struck by lightning and their tops get burned off. So we're not going to focus on that part. We're actually going to focus a little bit below ground. That you may have power, literally, that you may be strengthened enough so the first part is that, that the power might be in you. And the second is that you might be strengthened enough through this. And two things with it. Strengthened enough as you are rooted and established and loved and together with all God's people. Now the reason I chose the sequoia trees for the image here is that sequoia trees, we often think about them because of how massive they are. Some of them are 40 feet in diameter, 155 foot circumference on the biggest sequoia tree. Like those are massive, massive trees. The General Sherman tree, which is supposedly the largest sequoia tree, has over 55,000 cubic feet of wood inside of it. And just think about that for a minute. That's a lot of houses. Like, that is a lot of wood. It is this big, massive tree. What's really fascinating about sequoia trees is that they have interweaving root systems. They don't have a single tap root. A sequoia tree doesn't have a tap root that anchors it in. It's anchored in by joining around with the trees around it. So I'm going to ask for some volunteers to come up here. Okay, I need about seven or eight people, preferably high school on down. So come on up. Gideon, I see you. Come on. You come up with Hank. Uh, if we have a couple of the students over here, come on up. Yep, come on up. Come on up. What? Yep, come on up. Dykemas, yep, yep. We got it. Come on. You guys know you like being up here. Yep. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to imitate sequoia. You look like a nice sequoia here. So, all right, you're going to be sequoia number one. Now, now, if the wind comes along, we can kind of push them around a little, right? Go ahead, Gideon. You get to push Hank today. All right. So, see, the wind tosses and turns them a little bit, okay? And actually, if you're 250 feet up at the tops, way up there, the wind up top can snap those things. So their, their pine needles actually form differently at the top. The needles on these sequoias form differently than at the bottom because of the wind and the rain. It's quite fascinating. You should read about it sometime. All right. So, but what they do, instead of sending a tap root down, they send their roots out, and their roots can cover up to a full acre of land. 
The roots from a single sequoia tree can cover up a full acre of land, but you don't see one sequoia tree standing on an acre all by itself. They're actually in tightly knit growths. So we're going to pretend your arms are the roots, okay? So hook arms in, hook arms in, all right? But it's not just one big line like this. You got to curve in that way. You got to curve in this way. And we're going to hook arms and then we're going to cross hands. And everybody else grabs somebody else's hands, okay? Well, that's pretty tight. And if Dan was to walk up here, I'm not asking you to come up here and push us, okay? <laughs> but if Dan was to try and push us, it's not just pushing one person, it's actually the whole system holds it, right? And so underground, it's all woven together and tightly held together like this, all right? That's the root system of sequoias, and they only go about 10 feet below the ground. Thank you. You get the idea. It's intertwined. It's over top of each other and inside and outside of each other. And the strength that comes from these big, tall sequoia trees to hold them together is that they're all together. And they're holding on to each other and they're supporting each other. And so no one sequoia tree holds itself up. It's actually a community of sequoia trees holding each other up. And so when we hear Paul's prayer here, that you may be strengthened enough, he's putting it in the context of saying, rooted in the love of Jesus Christ, together with all God's people. So you're not alone. Even though God wants each of us to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not leaving you by yourself. In fact, I'm weaving you together in a whole community of people. And together that community is stronger than if you would be by yourself. And it's in this context, he says, now that you're all woven together, you have the capacity in this strength of the Holy Spirit to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God in Christ. In other words, I as Chris Schoon cannot know the fullness of God's love without other brothers and sisters in Christ. I will miss out on the goodness of God if I try to do Christianity on my own. I need others in order to see how good and faithful God is. And that goes in this, in this broader text, not just for one person, but it is the nature of the whole community that God has this expansiveness. In other words, he's saying, you think you've tasted the goodness of God, and you have but it is way more than what you have seen or experienced yet. It is broader and higher and deeper. In fact, he goes to four dimensions here. Normally we measure in three. And he adds four. He says it completely encompasses us so that we are caught up in the middle of God's grace. And our privilege, our privilege is that we get to explore the fullness of God's love together. He adds this, strengthen to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You know, one of, the, one of the struggles in our Reformed tradition comes out of our blessing. We've done tons of great work in developing curriculum and developing Christian schools and all sorts of resources to walk with young people so that they may know the story of God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And then when people turn 18, we almost completely drop discipleship. 
You make profession of faith, and suddenly there's no Sunday school. You make profession of faith, and suddenly there's no youth group. There's no ongoing education or discipleship. It's like we say, oh, we grew you up in this great sequoia forest, and now we're going to transport you out here by yourself. Keep growing. You're ready. Do it all by yourself. What Paul is pushing towards is that it's not just the formal education. That's the starting spot. But that starting spot is meant to nurture us into a way of love, of knowing the love of God that surpasses all the head knowledge that we can pour into each other. And it becomes much more of a knowledge that is found in the living of life together. Will we go on in our discipleship, beyond our education, beyond the formal knowledge, to continue growing in the grace of Jesus Christ as a community of God's people? And he adds this. This is the so that from this part of the prayer. So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, so that God might overflow from you. Like your, your whole world might be encompassed by God. So you might experience that lavish love of God that just keeps pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and floods everything. God is giving us this gift of the community of God's people so that together, throughout our whole lives, we might experience the love of God in growing abundance. The fullness, the full measure of the fullness of God. And we can't do that on our own. So what? Where do we go from here? Three things. One, we're in that season of Easter, but the season of Easter is also unique because it is a season that anticipates Pentecost. And so I invite us as God's people to be praying deliberately during this season for the Holy Spirit to continue filling us and our children. God fills us with his resurrection power. Let that sink in. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in us. That is an amazing gift. So let's keep praying for that and praying that we might grow in that, grow in the Holy Spirit. Two, that we would pursue lifelong discipleship. Our various forms of Christian education are a beginning, but they're not the ending. Our whole lives need to be about being formed as disciples of Jesus Christ and learning to walk in his ways and experience and encounter the fullness of life that he has for us. And that doesn't stop at 18 or 24 or 40 or 50 or 90 or 97. It continues to go until the day Christ calls us home. Lifelong discipleship. Finally, we need to build relationships across the generations. That's where this text ends, that, that Christ... Christ's glory might fill the church and, and the world. And all of that would happen, not just in a few of us, but throughout all generations. And in order for us to see the fullness of God's grace and taste the fullness of God's goodness, we need relationships that go beyond our generations and our peer groups, but that extend and push us outward so that we discover more and more, not only of what God has already done, but what God is about to do in the people and around us. Invite us 
invite us to enter into Paul's prayer as a prayer for our Christian schools, but also a prayer for our very lives, that we might be fireworks and sequoias in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Oh, you are so, so good, Lord. So, so good to us, even more than what we have asked or imagined. We have yet to comprehend how good you are by, by sending your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to fill us with that, that same power that raised Christ from the dead. What an incredible gift you are to us. Help us to live in that power and to, to see Christ dwelling in us, making his home in every nook and cranny of our lives. And Lord, as you explode your life through us, may you also root us together. We, like sequoias, might go tall and find strength in the community of your people so that together we might experience the fullness of who you are. Lord, we see why Paul prayed this prayer. Because everything else is dim and shallow and faint in the presence of knowing you. May we know you more and more and more. Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.